May the love of God the Father fill you with wonder. May the sacrifice of God the Son fill you with thanksgiving, with appreciation. And may the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit fill you with faith, hope, comfort, and love. All gifts from our triune God on this Trinity Sunday and always. Amen. Dear fellow Christians, this morning we celebrate something that we don't understand, which is not unusual for Christians. Because God says so, we believe what we cannot understand to be true. This is a gift we've been given. So it is this morning that we speak of our God as three in one, triune, one God and yet three persons. Now that's easy enough to say that we believe in a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet when you start to get into the ramifications of that, some of the complexities, we can find ourselves, as we do often when we work through that Athanasian creed, we find ourselves in deep waters indeed. Again, we don't fully understand. We believe because God said so. The text that will form the basis of our meditation this morning, yet another one of those proofs that God gave us, and therefore we believe to be true, is found in John's Gospel, the 8th chapter, beginning with the 48th verse. The Jews answered him, they're speaking, of course, to Jesus. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar, like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So far the word of our God. What a rare, wonderful privilege. What a treasure we possess. This word of God that we know and trust to be sure, true, right, in every aspect, timeless. That our God, through the Holy Spirit, would fill us with all the gifts he longs to give us through the study of these words this morning. So we pray. 
Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. Isn't it just a joy and a rare privilege to just worship our God without restraint, unreservedly, with, without hesitation? Because in so many things in life, nearly everything else in life, we have to exercise that balance that's necessary. Never too much of one thing. As Christians, we're all about balance, typically. You see that imbalance sometimes in life. Some people that are obsessed with one thing, golf or fishing or whatever, and they have no balance. So we know that, oh, all right, in most things we have to exercise balance, but not here. Not with the worship of our God. There need be no holding back because God is worthy of our worship, our praise, our adoration, our thanksgiving, every moment of every day. Unreservedly so. We don't need to ever hold back. This is something that we need to do when we join together. We need to get in that frame of mind that worship frame of mind where we're not just saying words. We are communicating to our God. We are doing what we just sang. All your creation praises you, glorifies you, O oh God, without hesitation, reservation. That's just such a rare thing in our existence. Understand, however, that does not mean that we worship a God, our God, whom we fully grasp or completely understand or comprehend. Not even in any way do we fully comprehend that which we worship, which is why we worship that God that we do. Do you want a God that is fully comprehensible? Do you want a God that is essentially you? that is capable of nothing beyond you. Think about that. If we could fully grasp and appreciate all there is to God, what a lesser deity he would be. A God no more wise, no more powerful, no more discerning than we. We worship in part, the God that we do not fully understand. But just here, as always, unfortunately, we have to mention the dangers, because in so many things connected with the Christian faith, perhaps all, there are dangers inherent here. And one of the growing dangers we see in our society, and therefore we are subject to, or at least subject to temptation by, is this growing tendency in our society to reject anything that is not comprehensible. To, to reject, in this case, the very existence of God because God cannot be grasped. He cannot be fully understood. It's a growing tendency in our society. You've seen it, I'm sure. If something can't be grasped or explained scientifically, then man rejects it. Man asks, how can this be? And if the answer is, I don't understand how it can be, 
the tendency is to, again, dismiss it. And in this case, to dismiss the very concept of God himself. As man's understanding concerning how things work in God's invisible creation expands and grows. In other words, we're learning more about this this incredible creation of our omnipotent, all-powerful God. And as we learn more, there's this bizarre tendency to worship understanding of creation rather than the creator. To worship even the study of God's creation rather than God himself. It's just strange, but you've heard it. And, and voices given to that shift in our society when it's no longer as we used to, we still do, but don't believe as a nation, print on our money in God we trust. Now what do you hear? Believe the science. Trust the science. Which is not, science itself is not evil. If it's done right, it's simply the study of God's amazing creation. On the one hand, this is most puzzling. Who wants to worship what he can fully understand or grasp? Who wants to worship what's on a par with himself? And on the other, it's not so surprising. This is the tendency that each of us was born with. To only accept that which we can comprehend to, to be the judge, we were born as that, the one that judges if something seems or sounds reasonable. And if it passes that test, then we can accept it as true, even if we don't understand it. It has to be reasonable to us. And that's not true of many things in life, and yet somehow we impose that on God. Let me give you just one example. I'm sure everyone here believes in electricity. Now, believes that means in the existence of electricity. We know that because of evidence. If we didn't have evidence, we'd probably question even that, but you don't fully understand electricity. Maybe some kind of have an idea, but not really. Not when you get down to that molecular level and alternating current and direct current and how that does whatever it does, but you believe it's true, right? You believe it exists. We're going to hear more about what that means to believe. It isn't just to believe it exists, but there's more to it. So, although we have things in our lives that we can't see, we don't fully comprehend, we still believe, and yet when it comes to God himself, man is comfortable rejecting the very concept of God. So the Bible communicates things to us about this God that we can't comprehend. And one is that thing that we commemorate, celebrate this morning, the triune nature of our God. We have one God who manifests himself in three persons. And if you look at the bulletin cover, there are various descriptions of how that is illogical in the world's manner of thinking. Because the Son is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and yet the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Father. Doesn't make sense. So according to the world, it can't be true. 
This sort of skepticism, by the way, extends throughout the doctrines of God's Word from first to last. The virgin birth makes no scientific sense. Rejected. The resurrection from the dead conflicts with science. Rejected. The miracles, the two natures of Christ, the creation of all things from absolutely nothing but by the power of God's word alone, rejected, rejected, rejected. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about in our text. The verse that precedes our text in particular. There he said to the Jews who refused to believe what he taught them, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Understand something in that word translated in English as hear. There's so much to that word in the form of the Greek word used here. It doesn't mean just to, to have that sound hit all those little, the, the eardrum and the little bones in there, the, the stirrup and the anvil and the lariat and all the other little bones in the ear and then communicates that and then makes it into rational thought somehow. It's more than that. It's, it means to hear with comprehension and to believe. And to that is also added the idea that not only hearing and believing, but you act in accord with what you've heard and understood. Now here's where we get back to electricity. So you believe that it exists, right? So who of you, believing it exists, would plug a cord and strip the ends of that cord off and stick it in your mouth? Kids, don't try this at home. You wouldn't do that. Why? Because you not only believe it exists, you know something about it, and you act in harmony with that faith. Now, Jesus is saying to them, you don't hear my words, meaning you not only don't believe they're true, but you don't act in harmony. You see the problem in our society? People that say, oh, I believe, I believe, and they do exact opposite thing. God says, that's not possible. You're not believing. You're not hearing as I talk about as I refer to when I say hearing because even if you hear and comprehend you can't do the opposite thing you can't just act contrary and say yep I do now I say can't we do that when we sin but we resist that don't we we're going to hear more about that in a minute so this is the sort of hearing that Jesus was referring to in verse 47 not a rational intellectual comprehension, but a childlike acceptance that if God says it, even if I don't understand it, I believe it. It's true. That's all of the Christian faith, isn't it? That's every bit of the Christian faith, because name one doctrine of Holy Scripture that makes sense in the world's idea of makes sense. What about our faith makes sense? Does it make sense that our God would, seeing that all created human beings, every person with a soul, is unworthy, unworthy, grasp that word, undeserving, unworthy, that he would say, so I'm going to take my son and I'm going to send him to earth and I'm going to make him, I'm going to require that he live a perfect life. He's going to suffer all along the way. He's going to be abandoned, rejected, and at the end, he's going to be physically abused. And then I'm going to, 
that one perfect holy human being, I'm going to visit the punishment earned by every other human being on my son. Does that make sense? Does it make sense that the only one who had no sin would be punished for all of those who did have sin? Does it make any sense that all of those who have been declared not guilty have to add nothing to this salvation plan? In other words, not only did you sin, not only do you break God's law, it was paid for by another, but you don't have to now add anything to make yourself lovable to God. God loves you based on what his son has done. Doesn't make sense. Nothing. It doesn't make sense that a man walking the earth could have no human father. It doesn't make sense that, that someone could be dead for three days and yet be alive again. What about our faith makes sense? It doesn't make sense that we can attach God's word to simple water and the Holy Spirit would use that, through that, create saving faith in an infant. It doesn't make sense that we can come and we can receive bread and wine and that power of, word, of the word of God attached to that bread and the wine means that we receive the body and blood of a Savior that died 2,000 years ago. And yet as Christians, we not only believe such things, we celebrate them, we treasure them. So also on this Trinity Sunday, we celebrate what we have no hope of fully comprehending, the triune nature of our God. In our text, the Jews operating, again, according to human wisdom, human logic, on a strictly rational basis, they say that can't be. What tipped them over the edge finally? Did you notice in our text? What was it finally that, that threw them into this uncontrollable rage that they're going to now kill this man who just said words to them? Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am we may miss this at first, but the Jews didn't. They knew exactly what he was saying because they knew their Old Testament. They just missed Jesus as the fulfillment of that prophecy. So when Jesus said that, that unique, before Abraham was, I am, bad grammar. He didn't say before Abraham, I was, because he referred to himself here as the great I am, the name that God gave to himself, the God that simply exists. And that's why they decided he was guilty of blasphemy, and that's why they decided then that he was worthy of being stoned to death. And in their unbelief, they decided that they were going to do the right thing and kill Jesus, the Son of God. What apparently never occurred to them was that there was another explanation. Not just, this man is guilty of blasphemy, but he's telling the truth. What he's telling us is exactly what is true. But Jesus, again, whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. 
Again, do you fully comprehend the triune nature of our God? No? But you believe it to be true. Thank God for that. That's a testimony that the Holy Spirit is living and active in you because without understanding, you believe it to be true because God said so. Simply because God told you it's true, you believe it. Even though there's, there's an apprehension or fear that if someone asked me to explain it and, and, and bore into it more instead of just allowing me to say, well, we have one God but three persons, that you wouldn't be able to defend it adequately. Or you'd think later afterwards, as most of us do, boy, I wish I should have said that. Or, boy, that would have been a good answer. Or, why didn't I say that? There's another reason here, though, before we close, isn't there? Another reason why we worship our God. And it's not so much that we know Him. It's because He knows us. Now that in itself, without saying any more, is absolutely astounding. That, put yourself, fill your name in, that I, inconsequential, one among billions could actually be known by God. Which he said he does. He knows his children intimately, better than we know ourselves. Very hairs of our head are numbered and known by him. That would be enough. But here's the really amazing thing about that. The fact that God knows you, he knows everything about you. He's heard every filthy word that's come out of your mouth. He knows every terrible thought you've ever thought. Every deed is not hidden from him. He knows it full well. And yet, despite that, he loved you enough to send his son. He loved you enough not only to send his son, but to send his Holy Spirit into your heart to bring you to faith, which means he wants you, knowing you as he does, he wants you with him in heaven. To the extent that he picked you from eternity, knowing you. Behold what manner of love this triune God has showed to each of us. Does it make sense? Not at all. I don't even like me half the time. Well, more than half the time. And yet God loved me enough. God loved you enough to do what he did and still loves you enough today to preserve you in this faith, despite all the threats, despite all the enemies, despite all the lies and the twisting of truth and the perversion that seems to crowd in around us, God says it shall not be. No one is going to snatch you from my hand. No one can undo what I have decreed. I'd encourage you this next week to read this whole 8th chapter. Read the whole Gospel of John, but in particular this entire 8th chapter. Because there God gives us so many amazing truths. And one of them is when Jesus said to his disciples, and therefore also to us, because nothing in Scripture that was preserved and recorded was just for them. It was preserved and recorded for us. That's where he said, if you continue in my word, 
you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. God, preserve us in this faith. Don't be afraid to confess to the world that you do not fully comprehend the God that you nonetheless believe in and worship without reservation or hesitation. And then one last thing. You know this God. You hear in every sense of Jesus' use of that word. You know him. The world around you, your friends, family, also need to know him. Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the world around us needs to be introduced to you, the God that we know based on your word, what you have told us about yourself. The God whose greatest attribute is your grace, your undeserved love for sinful, rebellious mankind. May that grace, that love that you have shown us in Christ, guard our hearts and minds. Amen.